I love the closeness that I have with my staff. It's not just a workplace for them. I believe it's, you know, more than that. And that's what I would want in any restaurant that I'd opened. I want people to come and enjoy work and to have a laugh and, but to still get the job done at the end of the day. You know, being like, you know, we're not better than anyone else. We can wash a dish, we can scrub the floor, we can run food to the table. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The opportunities to learn in the hospitality sector are endless. Whether traversing the globe through the lens of wine varietals and regions, or the layers of cuisine ingredients and techniques from countries to regions to small towns all over the globe. But what sort of backbone and confidence does an array of finer dining restaurants give a young chef looking to make their mark? Ashley Marie is the chef and co-owner of Cross-Eyed Mary's in Coolangatta, Queensland. Ashley, how are you going? Yeah, good yourself. I'm good. Thanks for joining us. You've yeah, uh, thank you. worked at some pretty incredible uh, and influential restaurants in Australia and um, you found yourself in Coolangatta on the border of Queensland and New South Wales. What what led to the decision to move there? Um, to be honest, I, I just, I couldn't be in Sydney any longer. I just, I was looking for something different. Um, I came back, uh, I was working on and off at Biota for probably about five years and I was given a job at Three Blue Ducks and I helped open uh, their Byron Bay hub, loved the uh, Northern Rivers. And then I found myself, um, after my grandmother passed away, uh, moving back to the Southern Highlands, back to Boda. And after six months being back at Boda, I was like, what am I doing? I, you know, as much as I love being home and I love working with James, um, I just found myself missing something, like I wanted something more other than fine dining. I also wanted a lifestyle, <laughs> uh, as most of us try to achieve. Um, so I ended up moving up to the Gold Coast um, and I took a job at Paddock Bakery solely just to do bread. Um, I spent about a year at Tartin in San Francisco and I just found myself wanting to get back to the roots of bread. And um, after, weirdly enough, after a year doing bread, I missed fine dining. <laughs> <laughs> I missed service. I missed, um, you know, the later starts and the later nights and just the mentality of the kitchen. Um, other than working just solely in bread and being up at midnight and working till 11. So um, I ended up finding myself going back and working at Paper Daisy uh, with Ben Devlin. And, man, like, it's such, it was such an amazing place to work. Like, uh, the amount of stuff that he has created there and – almost like a Northern Rivers movement in a sense um, to allow people in the Northern Rivers to eat better and kind of do better with um, restaurants and dining. So 
um, yeah, I really loved it there and um, I ended up moving too far up the coast so I had to leave my job there because I had a motorbike, my only form of transport, and it was wet season as well. So, um, yeah, I found myself moving back up the coast. I took a job in what used to be um, the Cross-Eyed Mary site, which was called Tasca. Um, I started working casually here and um, in the interim of that, I went back down to Sydney and helped James open his pop-up at um, Chippendale. And then I came back and then helped open Labatt in Burley Heads for a little bit and then I was like, hang on a minute, I need to settle down. <laughs> I need to chill out. I need to chill out a minute, um, take a breather. So I just ended up focusing on Tasca. Um, and, yeah, when COVID hit, um, unfortunately um, the owners decided to sell and there's a uh, a great pair of husband and wife couple down the road that owned Francie's Pizzeria. We had a chat and we decided that we we're going to buy Tasca and spent probably about nearly most of COVID deciding what we we're going to do with Tasca. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, there's a lot of Italian on the coast and we're trying to think of a point of difference that we're going to do. And we decided our point of difference was going to be hand rolling and hand shaping pasta. So we weren't going to use extruders or any of that. So we've just aimed for the traditional old school Italian tools. Um, the closest to extruding I get is a hand extruder called a uh, Bigorello, um, which only holds about 500 grams. So imagine trying to do, trying to, pump out the numbers with that and try and do a busy 60, 70 cover service. <laughs> Only putting 400 grams of dough in a vat. But, um, you know, it's for me it's dough is where my heart lies. Um, I love sourdough and I love, you know, making bread and I love making pasta dough and it's all done by hand. And such a tiny space that we have, I'm lucky that I work with my partner in the kitchen because it would get really awkward uh, for people trying to get out of that kitchen. <laughs> well, you mentioned your time in San Francisco. How, how was it working at Tartin under Chad Robinson and his team? Uh, it, it was great. Like I only, um, my friend Chris, who unfortunately isn't with us anymore, um, ended up well, hooking up a job for me there just casually because um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, I had an uh, internship at Manresa, but two days prior to that, Manresa kitchen burnt down. So I was kind of stuck in a pickle. I was like, do I go home or, you know, do I just stay? And it, I took a week off. Um, I just had enough money to be able to take a week off. And um, I had a chat with Chad and... I asked him, listen, I don't know too much about bread, but I'm willing to learn. Um, can I have an opportunity here? So we decided, well, he decided that we're going to um, do kind of like a paid internship there. 
um, which was probably about $10 an hour, which was great. Um, definitely different to Australia. And, um, yeah, I ended up being there for a total of six months um, and came back home uh, and started. As soon as I came back home, I ended up being, um, where was I after that? I'm pretty sure I was at Key after San Fran. Um, but, yeah, it was an eye-opener, like just the way to see Tartin back then was still quite small. Now Tartin has Tartin Manufacturing and we're just kind of at the cusp then of just expanding into a bigger space and taking more clients on. So, yeah, it was great to see something that was so small in the beginning become something that now is a worldwide name in sourdough. You've worked at some pretty extraordinary restaurants in Australia, which we can get to shortly, but when did you first start to get interested in food as a child? <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> I was I was late. Um, I was actually year nine at school and I just nearly burnt down my house cooking eggs. Um, my mother screaming at me in, uh, in Portuguese, um, wondering what I was doing and how I could possibly nearly burn down the house cooking eggs. And I was like, well, well, how can I avoid this? Maybe I should learn to cook. <laughs> um, so I was offered, well, I wanted to leave school. I wasn't that interested in school. And I took a job in DY at the Sandbar, which was just this little cafe slash restaurant. Um, a couple of guys that worked in there were from Tetsuya, that were just getting out of fine dining. But, um, yeah, I ended up moving up there close to my auntie because my mum didn't want to completely kick me out of the house. So, um, yeah, I did that for about six months and I decided that I really wanted to invest my life in cooking um, and I started becoming really passionate when I went to Bacasse. And I, get, I guess it just stemmed from there. Well, you've worked at Bacass, Key, Paper Daisy, Biota. What's been the really important moments that have helped uh, create uh, your ethos in cooking? I would say completely it would be my time at Biota. Like, in honesty, I feel back then when you have such an array of great restaurants under your belt, um, some people build up an ego um, and basically Biota got that out of me. Um, I came from Key and I, I went down to Biota and I did have a little ego and James just basically said to me, none of that here, <laughs> that's not happening in my kitchen, um, and brought me back to my roots and actually taught me to create a family vibe within a kitchen. Like... You do not just, I lived on site as well and I lived and breathed biota for a big chunk of my career from, you know, 2 a.m. deep and meaningful chats with James after a pretty heavy service to, you know, waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning and going out the back of Robertson and foraging. Like, they were big weeks but everyone was just willing to dive into it and do it and say nothing else about it. 
Um, but yeah, James Vowles really opened my eyes up to cooking. Um, the way that he cooks and the flavours that he cooks and just his ethos has been something that I've held quite strong to my heart. At Biota, James really tried to uh, capture a sense of place and create a cuisine of the Southern Highlands. Um, tell, tell us about the ingredients that you used and some of the dishes that really stood out for you in your time there. Well, mo- well I would have to say 90% of our products that we're using then was just all so- sourced locally. Um, you know, we had Redleaf Farm. We had a lady called Joe that used to forage all our, um, you know, flowers and yarrow and all this other stuff. What we couldn't grow, um, she basically did. Um, probably a dish that I really loved is quite old school now. Um, James used to always, it was the lamb breast dish, Um and we cooked it uh, with oats and the whole ethos was like your mother, like the mother's milk to the pasture, like we're using, um, I think it was chickpea, we're using, no, oats, sorry, we're using oat grass on the dish to garnish as well and loosen being from hay. Um, That dish was probably my favourite and, you know, another one he had was the mum's roses which was about his mum's rose garden, you know. So in summer we used to put this dish on, which was with peach and um, peach, uh, peach gel, um, cream and uh, liquid nitrogen would smash the roses up with meringue. And that was like, you know, he his, his parents were super involved in that restaurant. Um, his mum... We all knew on first name basis, same as his dad, Kath and Ian. Um, but yeah, there was it was a sense of place and family and locality um, to the Southern Highlands and to his upbringing in the area, which at that time no one was doing. And I don't think any restaurant that I could think of had that amount of closeness to the food, to the restaurant, to the locals, like he did. With all those restaurants that you worked at, that fine dining sort of background that you have, what's some of the positives that you've taken from those restaurants um, that you use now in your restaurant? Uh, Probably the first one is to be calm and collected. I don't know how many times um, I was in trouble in services. (laughs) (laughs) To really get myself out of the weeds was probably a really good one. Um, Respect as well. Respecting everyone from the kitchen hand to the floor staff to, you know, the person that works right beside you is respecting them and respect what they do at the end of the day to create what we're creating. Um, I would say that would be one of them and how to push on. That was another one. Um, But, yeah, I would say those are my main ones. Um, I carry a lot of them these days. Um, You know, as we all know, hospitality is changing. Um, The mentality of the kitchen is changing, how people want to work and how um, we want to be perceived. It's not 
so much anymore about getting a plate thrown at you or getting locked in a cold room. It's about, you know, getting the best out of that person and making sure we're not burning each other out. You mentioned uh, your Portuguese mother a little earlier and uh, your daughter of uh, Portuguese immigrants to Australia. Well, tell us about Portuguese cuisine and, and what family meant in your, what food meant in your family growing up? Well, it's weirdly enough, like um, my family are from a little island off Portugal called Madeira. Um, so it's a farming country, basically. Um, so a lot of our food that we ate were was a lot of, you would say, poor, poor people's food, like... Um, but that was just the heritage of how they cooked. Like they took bits from Italy, um, they took parts of France and um, heaps of the Mediterranean with them. But a lot of my food was, you know, cabbage soup, you know, pork knuckle, um, you know, polenta, um, a lot of fish, a lot of fish. Um, yeah, and my grandmother you know, she got ammonia when I was quite young and she lost her sense of smell and taste. But, man, she could cook much better than me. <laughs> like, she, anything that she touched was liquid gold. Like, she, she's just an amazing cook. Um, even though with all the issues that she's had um, with herself, like, she's been in the country for probably about, you know, 50 plus years and she's can, I can still not understand her fully. Um, she doesn't read or write English. Um, you know, she's very strict with her heritage and how she's been brought up. Um, but yeah, like every Christmas, every Easter, every boxing day, um, every birthday, we all gathered together and it was just, you know, this big family outing of just, you know, back then it was amazing, the food, Um, you know, drawing from all this culture when, you know, I spent most of my life um, at a school in the back of Whoop Whoop um, where there wasn't too much culture. Everyone was, you know, country Australian and, you know, I was kind of the weird child because I looked... I was a little bit darker and I was a little bit different. (laughs) But, yeah, it was definitely an eye-opener for me. Um, I would love to do something Portuguese down down the road um, just to play homage to my family. But, yeah, it's in there. You mentioned that uh, everything that your grandmother touched in regards to food turned to gold. Do, is there any particular dish that uh, you have fond memories of of hers? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> um, uh, there would be, I'm trying to think of the one, um, feijoada my grandmother used to make, which is like a whole lot of meat a whole lot of beans, um, use pork hock in it as well to make a stock. And, um, you know, that was probably my favourite. And cabbage soup, weirdly enough, um, with chunks of pork knuckle in it. Um, It was just amazing. 
um, the amount of flavour that, you know, came out of secondary or wasted cuts um, was, yeah, just epic. You had a slight detour from fine dining. You're a bit burnt out from it to do bakery, but you were drawn back in. How different are you as a chef after that sort of detour? Uh, I would say a lot. Like I I always had this mentality younger as a chef that I just didn't want to cook savoury and I just didn't want to just do dessert, which – you know, in my young career, I always got pushed to pastry. Um, But I didn't want to just do that. I wanted to learn everything. I wanted to learn how to do bread and I wanted to learn um, everything else from fish to meat. Um, I didn't want to be, you know, just happy with just cooking behind the pans. I wanted to expand my knowledge base and be more for myself and create more for myself. Um, But, yeah, I would say it's completely changed the way that I look at food now and how I actually run and create in my kitchen. How would you describe your food? Can you give us a a sense of maybe a dish or two that sort of epitomises where you are at the moment with your cooking? Uh, so I, I pull from tradition, um, in Italian heritage. So I don't go too crazy. Um, but I do an oxtail ragu, um, that is done with hand cut pappardelle and I use a lot of orange in my ragu just to bring out, um, the flavors of the oxtail. Plus it has ox tongue in it, but I don't tell anyone that because people and gather will not eat it <laughs> um but yeah like um that's probably one of my favorites and I also do um I hand make all the sourdough focaccia in-house and we also make our own cheese called cacio ricotta which is like ricotta but done on uh, vegetable rennet um so it's more of a firmer curd instead of just using the acid to split the curds and whey for ricotta. Um, But, yeah, I would say my oxtail ragu is probably the favourite that we kind of do here. But, yeah, I try and keep traditional sauces with traditional pasta shapes instead of trying mixing them up. I try to, you know, pinpoint north, south and central of Italy instead of dragging from the north, south and central and creating something, I try and keep it in tradition, but with my own spin on it, obviously. <laughs> with experience in such amazing restaurants and uh, now you're in Kulangata and a big part of the food community there, how, how different is it running a restaurant or you know cooking food for people of Kulangata compared to um, Sydney or um, San Francisco? It is very different, <laughs> very different. Um, it's The movement is definitely happening up here. It's slowly changing from what Queensland was to what it's going to be. Um, you know, when I first came to Coolangatta, you know, we are probably about four years behind Sydney, I would say, food-wise. Um, 
but yeah, like we're a wine bar as well and just seeing the area grow and accept um, these little things that we do has been great. Like, you know, there's still those usual like pubby places that are around here or, you know, your fast food joints, which there's a lot of, but there is a sense of, you know, good food and good wine that's in Coolangatta now, um, you know, just seeing that we use all natural wines and just seeing that people are just happy to drink them where probably about three years ago you brought in natural wine and people were like, what's this? What is this? No, just give me a, a Chardonnay from New Zealand, please. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely changing um, slowly, slowly, but you can see the movement's coming. Do your experience with um, making sourdough bread and making pasta and using your hands, um, what, what's some tips that you have for making the best pasta or making the best bread? Uh, pasta, um, you know, I firmly believe a product needing it by hand is the best um, that you can get out of your pasta dough. So, um, you know, once it's need, I allow to rest for 15 minutes and then I need again, which allows me to get nice air pockets in um, my pasta dough instead of just having a firm dough. Um, that really helps and also um, work on strengthening your wrists. <laughs> Do some weights <laughs> or something because, um, you know, I I probably do about by hand every day. I probably do about eight to ten kilos of dough a day, and um, you know they're split up into ten batches. But you know it does take its toll on your hands. But um, it's well worth it in the product um, that we get. It's a lot silkier. It's um, I'll not melt in your mouth but it just it feels better in your mouth the mouth feel is just so much better than you know me personally out of an extruder um you know i i can tell the difference when i'm eating it probably not a lot of cool and gatter people but i definitely can <laughs> um but yeah opening a restaurant in cool and gatter um as well as during a pandemic um, would have its challenges. What, what's it been like for you um, the last year and a half uh, running a new uh, establishment? I would say uh, anyone that kind of opened this in this, ha- that has opened in this time has opened in unchart- uncharted territory. Like it's, we're in an unknown, um, you know, Right now, usually this time, well, not this time, last year, about two years ago in Coolangatta, it was quiet. It was super quiet, but we're having bursts now of, um, you know, super busy weeks that you would only do in summer to, um, you know, quiet weeks as in winter. So you can never predict what you could predict before. You know, you'd be like, all right, winter's winter's coming down. Okay, everyone start taking their holidays, all that kind of thing. Now it's kind of like I need more staff. <laughs> I, need, I need more staff to run this place because 
Um, as we prob- probably all know, there's a massive staff shortage in Australia due to the pandemic. Um, you know, I'm, I see it every day on online and everything. There's thousands and thousands, you know, just are, are unfilled. Um, so I'm asking friends. <laughs> Hey, you're not working at the moment. You you want to work a day or two, um, just to kind of get by, really. Um, you know, because you still want to give people the service that they deserve, and you still want to get out a good product. But you know, how are you supposed to do that when there's no staff available? Well, there's no one applying for jobs. There's like put an ad out probably about two months ago, and you have like six people applying for them. That's it. So, um, yeah, it's definitely different and, you know, the future is unknown for all of us. Well, Ashley, you've gone from um, nearly burning your house down to trying to cook eggs to having your own restaurant. What is it that you love about uh, what you do? To be honest, um, I just love coming into the kitchen every day. I love from... You know, I'm such a small kitchen. There's only two of us, maybe three sometimes, but we do everything here from washing the dishes to, you know, deep cleaning to packing away the fruit and veg. Um, I love the closeness that I have with my staff. It's not just a workplace for them. I believe it's, you know, more than that. And that's what I would want in any restaurant that I'd opened. I want people to come and enjoy work and to have a laugh and but to still get the job done at the end of the day um and not try and uh, I'll probably burn myself out before I allow anyone burn themselves out but um you know respecting each other and you know being like you know we're not better than anyone else um we can wash a dish we can scrub the floor we can run food to the table um you know, that's what I love about this place. I love being able to do all of that and not feel like I'm better than any one of my staff members that work for me. The cuisine the cuisine of Portugal is um, so varied depending where you are in the country and there's also the islands, as you mentioned, that your family are from. If you did a Portuguese restaurant down the track, how do you envisage your um, homage to... Uh, the food of Portugal? To be honest, if I if I was to do something, I would go Portuguese charcoal chicken all the way. <laughs> all the way. <laughs> all the way. Like it's just uh, people, people try and do it and try to recreate the peri-peri sauce and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's uh, – you some it gets passed down from your family like my family have a take on the sauce that and you know another family might have a take on the sauce it's different you know um you know some people add whiskey some people add bourbon like it's it's very different from household name to household name so yeah i i would love to do that my mum makes amazing portuguese tarts always has so you know, wanted would want to throw them in there as well. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and 
you know, having that sense of family as well, which a lot of Portuguese, you know, love to do um, spit roast lamb, goat, um, all that kind of stuff, being able to have that available as well. Oh, it sounds amazing. And uh, we've loved having you on uh, Deep in the Weeds today, Ashley, to hear your story. Um, good luck with everything. Uh, and please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. No worries. Thanks, Heaps Huck. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospital community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.